What do you want in life? We want Jesus more than anything. And, uh, wow, that needs to be our prayer, amen? That we want Christ to be magnified and glorified, lifted up in our lives uh, forever. Take your Bibles this morning and turn, if you will, to the Epistle to the Ephesians. The Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter number 5 today. Ephesians, chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. This is the third week we have been looking at the different roles in the home, in the home. And, uh, and we have spent a couple of weeks just looking at the husband. And so I want to call your attention here to something a little bit unique here this morning as uh, we look here at these passages and uh, in Ephesians chapter number 5 in verse number, starting in verse number 21. And uh, we're going to read a little ways this morning, so get comfortable if you don't mind. And uh, we're going to read down to verse number 20, to verse number 9 of uh, chapter 6. So a little, little reading this morning as we're look here at our passage, but I think it would be helpful if we did so, so we can grab the whole context of what is being said. Sometimes chapter divisions can be, uh, well, they can be very helpful for us in our Bibles, but always understand that chapter divisions and verse divisions were not inspired, okay? And so those were not part of the inspired Word of God. Uh, they were put in there for uh, helpful clues and hints on uh, on where to turn to, where to look at. Uh, can you imagine if I just said, uh, find your Bibles in somewhere, you know, in Ephesians, you know, and it's about that place where it starts to say this, and, and everybody would be looking all around, and so this gives us a good roadmap. Uh, but really, the uh, the chapter, if, if, if it were up to me, not like it is or anything, but uh, verse number nine is really the end of the fall. Uh, what Paul is bringing to us here. And uh, there's a new thought being brought onto the scene in verse number 10 when he says, finally. Uh, but nonetheless, let's begin here in verse number 21. Now he says to us, the key verse to all of it today is this verse, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's the key verse to everything that I say today. That's the key, okay? That's the main verse. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of of God. You know, we would really solve a lot of our world problems, our familiar problems, and our co-worker problems if we would just learn to stop being selfish. Man, I thought that would at least get one amen. And uh, if we would just not be selfish. Selfishness is uh, the reason why you have war. Selfishness is the reason why you have divorce. Selfishness is the reason why uh, you have breakups and you have bitterness and you have grudges and you have all of those things is that one party or both parties are selfish. One cares about their needs more than they care about the needs of someone else. I see this all the time. I see it especially at funerals. And I see it whenever, uh, whenever somebody dies. I just talked to Albert uh, sometime, and uh, he worked in 
uh, and worked in probate law for uh, some time. And uh, the stress of that was just too much. Everybody was fighting over money all the time. And brothers and sisters and moms and dads. And it was all about how much can I get? Instead of submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now he goes on to give us a great understanding of what that means and how that looks according to God's word. For he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Then he speaks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak... Christ, speak concerning Christ and the church. That's to the husband. So three times the amount of verses are written to the husband as are written to the wife. Nearly three times right there. And so the, wife, the husband has more instruction. And verse number 33, though, he is giving to us a summary of what he's just said. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And my point for the last two weeks has been very simple, is that marriage is not to be seen, we're not to look at marriage, or excuse me, we're not to look at Christ and the church through marriage, but we're rather to see the marriage through the eyes of Christ and the church. That really marriage is, uh, is just a picture, it is just an illustration of something even greater. And really that's all the Bible is. The Bible is an illustration, it's a picture of something that's much greater than what we even sometimes read on the surface. Because what the Bible is dealing with is constantly telling us about Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what it's about. If you took your Bible over to Genesis chapter number 3, and you would notice the fall there, and we'll deal with that in a little bit, but I wanted to say this with that, is that we see the fall of Adam and Eve, and we find the curse that God places on Adam and Eve and on the serpent right there. But even in that text right there, there's something much greater happening than what's just happening with Adam and Eve. There's the, uh, there is the first mention of the gospel in that place there, where that Eve's uh, seed, which would be Christ, would smash the serpent's head. And though the serpent would bite at the heel, would inflict some wound to Eve's seed, that is Christ on the cross. Yet Christ in his resurrection would deliver a death-crushing blow to Satan. Praise God. So even there, we find that in the beginning of the Bible that we're talking about something much greater than even what is on the surface. Even what's being happening in the, uh, the foreground. So he goes on to say, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. 
And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there a respect of persons with him. So then you have the children being dealt with and their relationship with their parents, but more their relationship with God than fathers. And I would include mothers in that too, for mothers are taught and instructed to love their children and to love their husbands. And so, and then finally, we speak, they speak of servants and masters. We don't understand that as much in our society today. Uh, we are so far removed from any context of slavery uh, that we, uh, that is very out of touch with us. It's, it's, um, and I'm not trying to lift up slavery, but it has been demonized and vilified uh, such to, to such extremes in our culture uh, that we are repulsed by the idea. And I understand that. I'm not defending slavery. Don't get me wrong here. But you've got to understand cultural context, too. That was not the case in Paul's day. All right? Slavery was a very ordinary thing. It was very ordinary. In fact, God even ordained slavery. You know, in the Jewish times, uh, you were not allowed just to declare bankruptcy and cheat everybody out of a whole bunch of money. You know that, don't you? You know, today you can claim bankruptcy and then cheat your, cheat your creditors uh, out of a whole bunch of money by declaring bankruptcy. You don't have to pay that out, all right? So what happened in those days, instead of declaring bankruptcy, uh, you had to go into a type of slavery, and you would pay the debt off by working for somebody. Now, even God in that had grace, did he not? Because at the Jubilee year is that all slaves were required to be released. And so God even showed grace in that. Wouldn't it have been great if you got uh, put into slavery on the 49th year? That's I've always thought about that. And uh, you wouldn't want to get put in on the first year, right? And uh, 50 long years it could be if your debt did not get paid off. But nonetheless, we find in our text right here that God has a purpose for all of this. And the purpose that I want to bring out today is this, is that we must learn reverence, fear, and respect in our lives personally. And that must begin in the home. That must begin in the home. If there is no respect in the home, there will be no respect in the community. And if there's no respect in the community, there will be no respect and reverence at church. And if there's no reverence at church, there will be no reverence at school. Fear, reverence, and respect are qualities that are inherently Christian. They go back to the Word of God. And they ought to be something that are found and taught and lived out in our own personal lives. And our key verse is that verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The husband and the father is to fear God. The wife should see that she references her husband. The children should obey their parents and the servant be obedient to his master. Now, if you want to apply that contextually to us today, you might say that 
uh, that we as employers should be obedient and submissive unto our, our employees should be obedient, submissive to our employers. And uh, also we're really not even accustomed to this, but in some foreign, in many foreign countries, in third world countries, there is such a great divide in socioeconomic and gaps there that a lot of times that many people that are just simply middle class people will have maids, gardeners, and cooks, and all those kinds of things because there's such a great divide in wealth in those places. And uh, I was just speaking to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he said that his, uh, his uh, sister makes $400 a month, and she's considered middle class in Mexico. $400 a month. And, uh, and so you think about that. He said that in some places in there, he said that the poor would make only maybe $40. Can you imagine that? Now, I can't remember if that was $40 a month or $40 a week. I think it might have been $40 a week. So, some of us make $40 in one hour. Some of us make more than that in one hour. So just imagine what this is this what this is applying to here. We don't understand that maybe in our context here in America. But we should at least be able to understand this that if we're working somebody for somebody, is that we ought to be respectful. We ought to be helpful. We ought to be obedient in the matters in which do not go against Christ. So even all of these things we say today is that the preeminent thing to learn is honor, is respect. And as I've uh, looked across our society and by simple observation, I'm only 40 years old, but I don't have to be around very long to realize that honor, reverence, and respect are oftentimes many things a something that is a past in our society. You don't see that as much anymore. In some places you do, but in many places you do not. You don't see it in Walmart with kids sometimes, amen? You don't see it in schools oftentimes with children being disrespectful to their teachers. You don't even see it uh, sometimes in, in, in churches and things of that nature. And being respectful to the pastor and the pastor's wife and, uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, being respectful even to the elders. Opening doors for elderly people and helping elderly people and helping people out. Uh, and uh, being attentive and being respectful. Saying yes sir and no sir and please or may I please have that. Thank you. Uh, all of those things are uh, becoming uh, really uh, something that is not in the generations that are coming up. It's something that needs to be taught. But it's not going to be applied just at church. I, this is just, all I am doing here is just, I am just a little diving board, alright? In a very large swimming pool. Amen? That's all this podium, that's all this pulpit is, is that it's a, a little diving board, it's a springboard. That's all I can do here today. But you must take what you learn from the preachings of the Word of God, and then you must swim with it all week long. You must apply it to your life. You must apply it to your family's life. 
You must take it uh, in heart and use it for the glory of God. So number one, I would tell you this, is that, is that all of us must learn, must learn, what he says in verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another, listen to it, in the what? Fear of God. Say it with me. In the what? Fear, Fear of God. God. Fear of God. Now, fear of God does not mean shaking your boots fear. The word fear means to reverence is what it means. To be reverential. It means to be in awe. It means to uh, look at God with respect and honor and praise and exultation and say, He is my God and I will listen to what He has to say. Psalm 127 and 128 are what we call the familial psalms. They're psalms about the family. In Psalm 127, it says this in verse number 1. It says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. The home and society are entirely dependent on God alone. Whether they believe it or not, I was just reading in First Chronicles in my daily reading this morning, and I was reading about how God put David as king over Judah and Israel. But what struck me this morning was something that never really had struck me before, is that I started reading about how Manasseh brought about 37,000 down to him, and Ephraim brought about 22,000 down to him. And you say, why is that so important, Pastor? Why are all these numbers in there? I'll tell you why it's important is what God was doing in the hearts of the men in that time. They were bringing themselves down to David and submitting themselves to, the, to him as their king. And that was of God. That was of the Lord. Man and woman or whoever we are might have some abilities of leadership and skill that might draw people to us. But really, when it's all boiled down to it, that it is entirely up to God. God is the one building the home. It is not you, Dad. It is not you, Mom. I am not the one building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's Christ that is doing it. And so our focus must constantly be on Jesus Christ. When you feel like a failure as a dad or as a mom, you know what you need to do? You don't need to beat yourself up. You need to go to God and say, God, help me. When you're a failure as a wife, you need to go to God and say, God, help me. When you're a failure as a husband, and wives don't ever fail, but husbands do. But when you're a failure as a husband, you need to say, God, help me. I need help. I need help. But too often times people just beat up themselves and tear themselves up. And you know what that does? That doesn't do any good for anybody. In fact, really a lot of times it turns into a false humility. Whenever you start making life about me and how bad I am and I shouldn't do this and look at how terrible I am. No, you need to say, look how good God is. You need to have a different perspective. 17 different times in 22 verses, you find the Lord, Christ, Master in these passages. So the passage is not about wives. It's not about husbands. It's not about masters. It's not about servants. And it's not about children. It's not about fathers. That's not what the passage's main point is. The main point is Christ. 
And if you've got Christ as the main point in your life, you'll be a better father. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife, a better son, a better daughter, a better brother, a better sister, a better servant, a better master. Fear God. God's totally in charge. He is the one that we must look to. Psalm 128 of that same uh, family psalm says, Blessed, and sometimes the Bible uses the word man to speak in general, okay? But listen to Psalm 128. It doesn't even use the word man in this particular case. It says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. Praise God. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walketh in His ways. You and I must fear God first and foremost in order to see respect in the home. You cannot even teach respect in the home and fear unless you fear God. And you cannot even do that unless you treat, you can't even treat yourself right. You realize that? You can't even, you can't even have self-respect. I say that in a, in a good way. You can't even have you can't even have the decency for yourself if you don't fear God. You can't. You won't be using your body in the right ways if you don't have fear of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and through 20 says, flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth without the body uh, is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Luke was just talking about this in Sunday school. And mentioning how our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Listen, you're not going to treat your own body correctly if you don't fear God. And if you won't treat your own body correctly, are you going to treat other bodies correctly? Does that make sense? We've got to flee from all of these things that might cause us to sin and get us away from God and say, well, I don't want to, you know, we got to, we got to flee immorality and fornication and tobacco and drugs and alcohol and, and dare I say it, gluttony and sugar and, and, and being a couch potato. All right? I mean, we've got to flee these things. We've got to say, I, I don't want that in my life. All right? I've got to stay away from those things. You are bought with a price. Okay, folks? Therefore, glorify God in your body. What does he say? In your body and in your spirit, which are... That's right. It's God's. If you're saved here today, take a good look at your body. It's God's. It's not yours. That's the Lord's. It's not your body. I can do what I want to with my body. Not if you're saved. Yeah. Not if you're saved. Now, if you're unsaved, you're a child of the devil. Your, devil, your body belongs to the devil. You can do whatever you want to with it. Do whatever you want to with it. I would, I would warn you, though, that the ramifications are probably not going to be very good. And the outcome of that is probably not going to be very swell. So understand that also that that body is going to die one day. 
But the soul is going to keep on living. The soul is going to keep on living. Where's your soul going to live at whenever you die? Where's your soul going to be? Your soul going to be in heaven? Or is your soul going to be in hell? Where's it going to be at? Secondly, today I'm speaking to God's creative order. All right? Now, sometimes we get into a fluster about these, all, these, all of these things in uh, society that we've gone into and, uh, and the, the, the feminist movement and are we, you know, and all those kinds of things. People get all flustered whenever we talk about marriage in the home. But understand this, that what I'm speaking to you about today is God's creative order. How God created things to be. Does that mean that man hasn't messed it up? <laughs> of course not. Man has totally messed up the family. Totally. You know what the first sin of the family was? The first sin of the family? I believe it was Laban who took unto himself two wives. Do you realize that there are five, I think it is five immoral actions taken that are illustrated for us before Sodom and Gomorrah? Five immoralities. Long before Sodom and Gomorrah, there was great travesty in the family. Great travesty in the family. The family was on the brink long before that. We need to stop blaming people in society for our sins. Start just looking at ourselves and saying, what am I doing wrong? And what am I doing right? Jesus was tempted of the Pharisees and whenever they tempted him, they said, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore what God hath joined together, let no man put aside. What is Jesus doing here? He's doing the same thing that I'm trying to teach us this morning. He's going back to the creative order. He's going back to the beginning. He's going back to the way that it should be. And oftentimes what happens whenever you talk about marriage in the home or divorce or submission or our children obeying, all those kinds of things, what ends up happening a lot of times is there's usually somebody in the church, and God forbid that would be anybody here today, but I just want to address this, is that what happens is some people get in a, in a ruffle because they think that the preacher's picking on them, but what Jesus was doing was the same thing that I'm doing. It was just teaching what God originally intended for things to be. And he goes on to say, well, they said, why did Moses command to give a writing of divorcement and put it away? And Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to do these things, to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And sadly, there are some in the Christian church that still want to tempt God with this thing and challenge God about this, all right? Listen, we're not here to challenge God, amen? Or tempt the Lord. We're just here to say, God, you're right in this matter. Let us all conclude and be in accord in this matter that this marriage of, that Jesus, this, the, marriage, the statement that Jesus makes about marriage is that from the beginning, it was not so. And just because you or I, and why am I bringing all this up about respect? Because listen, is that just because you or I did not grow up in a house that uh, had uh, both parents, I know several of you didn't do that. Or just because you've been divorced, 
or just because you grew up in a home that was not Christian, or just because uh, you grew up in a, 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 a home where you had divorced parents, or, or you, you're growing up right now and you're widowed, or you're divorced, or, or, you're not, or you're just single and you haven't found the love of your life, it doesn't mean that we should refrain and stop teaching about respect and reverence in the home. Because it starts in the home. And it doesn't matter if you're the single mom or a single dad. Or it doesn't matter if you're single, all right? Never been married. That, none of that matters. What matters is this, is our relationship with the Father. And your relationship with God. Fear God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let that be your motto. Let that be the key of your life. Let us learn that submission is the opposite of selfishness. It's the opposite. Take your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. I'm going to close with this statement with this statement here. I want to prove that out here at the end by showing you that submission is the opposite of selfishness. Why? Because look what Christ did. What glory is it if, verse 20 of 1 Peter 2, what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if you, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. Look at verse 20, 21. For even hereunto were you called. Okay? Why? Because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are you returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Verse number one of chapter three. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. I'm not preaching on wives being in subjection to their own husbands. I'm just giving that as a point of illustration right there. The point of illustration is hopefully very clear that as Christ placed himself under the subjection of those that beat him and mocked him and cursed him and reviled him. And he did not care for his own, but rather gave himself up in order that he might save us. What has he given to us? An illustration that wives, you be in subjection to your own husbands. Obey your husbands. He's not asking wives to get beaten or reviled. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying to, to the wives and what he's going to say to the husband is the same thing he's saying to everybody. He's saying that Christ suffered a much greater subjection and subjugation than any of us will ever experience. 
Christ went through the greatest humility that any of us will ever experience. Christ's humility on the cross is greater than any of us will ever know about. Being crucified, naked, ashamed, open, exposed. But not only that, but, but also that he experienced the fact that he was separated from his father. That sin came upon him and he bore our sins. The man that knew no sin. He took our sins upon him that we might be redeemed. And so all of our humiliation and all our subjugation and all our submissiveness looks back to Jesus Christ and what Christ did for us. And we can say to ourselves, you know what? I can follow Christ in this matter. I can follow Christ in this submission. Because I see the submission that he did for me. I can follow him. And I want to follow him. He says, for thereunto are you called. A Christian's life, whether you're a father or mother, a brother or a sister. You know, a lot of brother and sister relationships would be uh, mended if one of those brothers or sisters would just be a little bit more submissive instead of always having to be right. A lot of husband and wife relationships would be resolved and there would be a lot of problems that could probably be put to the side if just one person said, you know what, you're right. That's okay. If just somebody put themselves down And it's always, you know, you know, husbands, it's not always going to be the wife. Guess what? You married a person that is a sinner, saved by grace. And she ain't going to be perfect every time. You know, sometimes it's not always going to be the children. Sometimes a dad is going to have to say to his children, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of of God. May God help us to fear God. And in fearing God, it will help our relationship with one another. If children would begin to fear God, they'd learn to respect their parents. If parents began to fear God, then they would start demanding that their children be respectful. Because you see what happens in that scenario right there is that when a parent does not require their child to be respectful to an authority figure, is that really you're breaking down the chain of order. And really what you're creating is somebody that's eventually not going to revere God. Because they don't revere your mom. They don't revere mom. They don't respect that. They don't respect their teachers. They don't respect, they don't respect their pastor. They, they don't respect a community leader. They don't respect a police officer. Fear God. Fear God. And these other relationships, though they need teaching, amen, though they need instruction, 
they will begin to fall in place because the order is being put correctly. God first. Let the rest of it fall in place where it needs to be. May God help us to fear the Lord. Father, we're thankful.